And if you're lucky, and I keep using this word magic, something magical happens. And I, I, to this day, I can't put my finger on it. Welcome to Rethink Moments, the show that explores significant ideas and events that in some way changed how we think and rethinks how these moments changed us. What went right, what went wrong, and what was learned. I'm Rachel Botsman. In this episode, we're journeying back to a late 1950s distinctly American laundrette. Here amongst the whirring of machines, the aroma of detergent, and a few pairs of freshly washed jeans, we'll explore and think differently about a TV commercial that created a shortage of white boxer shorts, increased sales of Levi's 501s by more than 800%, and reinvented the way music can tell a story. Stay with us. So this is me presenting the ad to the client. Imagine Saturday afternoon, it's hot. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. Light is coming through. You're outside a laundrette, probably in Brooklyn, somewhere in New York, slightly run down. This is Sir John Hegarty, a legend in the advertising world and co-founder of Bartle, Bogle and Hegarty, or BBH for short. The agency behind the game-changing Levi's commercial from 1985, known simply as Laundrette. And a guy walks into the Laundrette, Ray-Bans on, 501s, bag under his arm. He walks in and opens the door and looks around. For a brief moment, everything stops. And then music kicks in. Dun, 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 dun. Takes a bag of stones, empties them into the machine, takes his belt off, puts that on the top, takes his t shirt off, lovely body, not massively overworked, but just very handsome, and then undoes his jeans. And you can see him pull the button fly off. Of course. The whole laundrette has now stopped. He puts them in the machine. He picks up a magazine that he had in his back pocket, turns around and sits down. And there's a great big fat man sitting next to him who has seen nothing. Everybody else has seen everything. And the fat man suddenly turns and looks at, who is this guy without any clothes on, but apart from a pair of boxer shorts sitting next to me? And he just says, 501, you're now available, stonewashed. And that's the ad. In less than 60 seconds, Levi's had been grabbed by the belt loop and launched back into the heart of youth culture. Laundrette became the template for how to balance cinematic storytelling, great casting and memorable music with an effective marketing message. It got pulses racing, toes tapping and sold a lot of jeans. And like many great ideas, the story begins in search of the truth. I really look at the truth and, and also um, how it's connected to integrity and what integrity really means. And I look at mm. how with integrity, there's, there's always at the heart of it some kind of alignment. So uh, an alignment of a story, an alignment of interest, an alignment of motives. When you talk about 
the truth in that advert because it, it feels like the foundation of what was really right about it. What do you mean by that? Well, the, the, the truth is that they originally made a product that you had to work very, very hard to get right for yourself. You know, people sat in bars, they did all kinds of things, they scrubbed them, they did that, and they became precious garments. And you were trying to capture that truth, that the, the garment wasn't perfect when you bought it. You know, most people want to say, this is perfect. You know, it's absolutely as you want it. You know, you, you, I'm sure you buy a fabulous suit or a dress. or It's that moment, the first time you put it on, perfect, you know. And, and then it will gradually decline. Whereas a pair of jeans got better um, because although they were a, 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 a sort of mass-produced product, they had that unique quality of being a part of you and they adopted your your attitudes, the way you worked. I mean, if you kept something in your back pocket all the time, and gradually a mark would appear in the back pocket because that's what you did. So they were a thumbprint of you. And that's what makes them rather wonderful. And you're capturing that personalization in some shape or form. And so what we did is I said, you've got to go back to a time when Levi's were commanding the zeitgeist, when they were culturally important. And that time was the 50s and 60s when genes really emerged, youth culture exploded, and you've got to capture your part in that. Levi's was the original gene. Jeans had kind of declined slightly in sales. We talked about that fashion moment as the post-punk phenomena, where punk came along in the mid to late 70s and it blew fashion apart. All of a sudden, there was no fashion look. It was whatever you wanted it to be. You could rip your clothing pins in things and everything like that. So it was, a, it was very, very difficult for big brands to find a way of talking to a mass audience, which is what they're trying to do. They don't want it to fragment and give them something that is very distinctive that they can adapt themselves. And then came two words that changed John's career. Button fly. When they did the research on it, all the research said, Kids don't like it. They don't like button flies. It's a problem. Why have a button fly when you can have a zip? However, that was the gene. They had to launch it. So they had to ignore all that research and say, the advertising has tried to create a piece of magic, a moment that says why this is great. And sometimes that magic of making creative work is when you spot something powerful in the idea that was never intended. And I'll be absolutely honest with you, I hadn't quite spotted it. It was only when we'd shot it. I kind of realized, of course, it's a, it's a catwalk. And it's a catwalk that anybody could partake of because you don't have to be a special model to walk into a laundrette. But you've got people either side looking at you as you walk in, uh, people looking over the machine. So it's just like a catwalk. And I hadn't thought, shit, it's a catwalk, of course. But when you're filming, you film all these bits, you do them all individually, you shoot, and it comes in, takes the class, and then you stitch it together. And if you're lucky, and I keep using this word magic, something magical happens. And I, I, to, to this day, I can't put my finger on it, except I would say if you are telling the truth in some shape or form, you have therefore a power in your communication. Now, the secret is to demonstrate that or to articulate that in a way which captures people's imagination, that truth. But fundamentally, if you don't have a truth, you don't have power. 
And that's what you're looking for in your communication power. I've got distinct memories because I remember my grandma dancing around uh, when that ad came on. Of course, that wasn't a time where you could YouTube it, so right, so you had to wait for the advert to come on. Um, she sometimes even took her clothes off, I have to confess. She did. So, but anyway, when I went back, I'd totally forgotten the woman eating the sandwich. I remembered yeah. the man. Of course, I remembered him taking his clothes off. But And it's a lovely little moment in, in filming that you're trying to, little memorable moments that you go, oh, I remember that. And the woman eating the sandwich was, of course, that she would, you know, she just say, that's my lunch, I'm having a sandwich. What was this bloke doing? And the girls nudging each other, saying, we looks rather tasty. And it's kind of what you're doing. And the lovely thing about a laundrette, and you're trying to capture that, it's just a very egalitarian space. I mean, anybody can be in there. You know, you don't need a special ticket or you don't need to dress in a certain way or whatever it is. It is a public space. So what you're trying to do is to kind of represent the world in a sense. And, and you've got, you know, the two kids pop up, one then the other, then the mum comes. And, you can, and, and you've got that sense of she's looking at him thinking, oh, if only had I'd, my younger days, I'd had someone like that. And now I've got these two kids. And so there are little stories within stories. And I think that's what I think, I believe significant ideas have, and they have that in literature, they have that in stories within stories. And it, it is amazing in literally, it's 60 seconds actually with a little sort of bit at the end, how much you can tell in the 60 second frame. It's quite incredible. More after this short break. When you have a big hit, an advert, a song, a book, whatever it may be, sometimes this fear can set in that everything else will be in its shadow. Yeah. Did Laundrette's fame overshadow subsequent projects? I think there's always a kind of worry that you've created this thing and you'll never match it again. And I think creative people have got to be fearless. And what you've got to do is not try and repeat what you've done, but go on and do something different. And that's the kind of big challenge especially in our industry where you, you, you know, you have to come in each day and have a new idea. That idea can't be like yesterday's idea. But if you are, you'll just repeat it and it won't be as good. And you can see campaigns where they've done that. But what you try and do, again, if you want something really distinctive, you've got to start from a truth. If the truth has a profundity to it, there's a good chance you'll go on and you'll create something else. That will be as equally good, maybe better, may not be but it will have value. Uh, and that's all you're doing. And, you know, in the end, you, you, you have to say there are special moments with a piece of communication that perhaps you will never surpass, but you'll surpass it in other ways with other pieces of work. And there were many more pieces of work to follow. The success of Laundrette and BBH's consistent push to do things differently ensured Levi's trusted John and his team to create 26 commercials for the 501s. And some of them were really, really profound and very different and absolutely incredible. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I didn't worry about it. And I think that's what you have to be. You have to be fearless. Great creative mm. people are fearless. I have to say my favourite one is Washroom. Washroom was wonderful. I think Creek got their swimmer, as we called it, you know, mad about the boy. And that was great because that one, we changed it from being a kind of R&B bluesy track to, you know, a track written by um, Noel Coward. You know, Noel Coward wrote Mad About the Boy. 
And it was a real change. And Levi's were quite worried. Oh, my gosh, is this going to talk to a young audience? But actually, they had the courage to go with it and actually got huge credit for leading. You know, we talk about brand leader. I want to be a brand. What a brand. You're a brand. Are you a brand? Can people trust you? And are you leading? You know, two words, brand, leader. And, of course, they had to lead. And uh, they did so with that, which was great. I was interested to ask John about his relationship with risk. He likes to tell the story of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, who in the 60s made their own handbrake turn, creatively speaking. I can't go on writing, you know, songs about bushy, bushy blonde hairdos and, you know, beaches and sunshine. And so he, he wrote Pet Sounds and, and everybody thought it was terrible at the time. It didn't do very well in America when he was released. It did wonderfully here in the UK, but actually became a seminal album. He couldn't do You get bored with stuff. You know, I get bored with it. How can I move on? I don't want to keep on repeating myself. So you've got to have that element in you. I always think it's interesting how Pet Sounds is a great example, how ideas sort of react and respond to the environment in which they're born. So it's like, you know, a, a startup or a venture. Sometimes they're just born in the wrong age and it, and it can take time. But, but that's, totally. it didn't happen with Laundre. It hit it right from the word yeah. go. Well, it anticipated something. And, I, and again, you can't determine. You, you, you know, you can't go, I know exactly this is what is going to be. And all those people who try and predict the future, bullshit, you know, I mean, yeah. if you could, you'd be, we'd all be sitting on a Caribbean island, you know, owning it. No, It's just nonsense. What you can try and do is do something which is truly daring, truly different. And as I say, base it on some fundamental truth and frighten yourself when you're doing it. Why should I do this? And there's a possibility. You know, it strikes me, John, as you're describing these ads, um, Laundrette, Swimmer, um, Creek, what you do in some way is, is you push the client, the brand and the audience into the unknown. Mm. There's an element of unknown about it. Um, I'm very fascinated by sort of liminal spaces that sit in this edge between something that's known and something that's unknown. So you as the viewer can connect to some familiar things, but there's something unfamiliar about it. And that, I sense, is a thread of magic in the work that you've created. I think that's a, that's a very good way of describing it. I mean, William Goldman, the great film uh, writer, has a great phrase, and he says, come in late, leave early. And uh, he's talking about writing scenes. And I, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. It's come in late, yeah. keep the audience kind of anticipating and then leave. And don't, don't cross every T, don't dot every I. They're constantly waiting. When they know what's going to happen or when it happens, and yeah, I thought that was going to happen, they're disappointed. You, 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 know, you really have to sort of create something which, which is different, which has a relevance to them in some shape or form, but also engages with them and goes, wow, I didn't see that coming. This reminds me of a powerful idea. Some people call it the law of familiarity, or it's also known as the California role principle. Something Nir Al explores in his book, Hooked. He writes, people don't want something entirely new. They want the familiar done differently. We were talking, he's a good, fabulous photographer, great friend of mine, Max Forsyth, and we were talking about photography. You know, we were talking about lighting and what, composition, all that sort of shit, you know, we talk about as art directors and photographers. And Max just said, I don't know, it's just something I haven't seen before. And you kind of go, yeah. 
that's a great photograph. You know, you, all the other conversations about lighting and composition are kind of a nonsense. I haven't seen that before. That makes a great photograph. And, and that's what you're trying to do in, in some way or another. Tell a story in a different way. Yeah, they call it this idea of being strangely familiar, that it's it's strange and familiar yeah, at the same I, time, which I, I really right, love that That's right, at the same time. So. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that before. I must say, I do like that. Yeah, strangely familiar. I could have spent hours talking to John about everything that was great about Laundrette, but I really wanted to push him to consider what he might have got wrong. After 36 years, is there anything, anything at all he would change? I, I mean, in the end, I, I think we had we, we had to sort of put a pack shot at the end of it and saying now available stonework. I think we could have simplified that down. But by and large, it is a, as a piece of communication. If you said to me, make it again, I wouldn't know what to change. And uh, somebody once talked about the importance of being earnest as Oscar Wilde's play. And they said every line in that play is crucial because it's a line leading either to a joke or from a joke. There is not one line that you can take out without the whole thing sort of collapsing. And I think that's a sense of a masterpiece. And I think for me, Laundrette is something that there is not really, there's not really a shot you can change. You know, it just sits there as seminal. That's it. I, I couldn't change a thing. Everything came together and you're looking for that. Everything at that moment all fitted, you know, that work, that work, that work. There are a combination of things that make it work. It was bigger than just, you know, an average laundrette, the music work, the styling work, the, you know, it was just, yeah, that's, that's where magic happens. Well, I tried. Here's John telling me what the experience of making laundrette taught him about the creative process. <laughs> How <laughs> how precarious filmmaking is. Precarious. It's a medium which is unbelievably difficult to get right. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie, but why are there so many bad movies? It, it, it's just a why does one movie become special versus another? And I think it, it, it taught me respect film uh, and respect storytelling in film. Uh, and when you get it right, it's hugely, hugely powerful. And what about yourself? What did you learn about yourself from making that ad? Just trust your own judgment. Because when we presented that, no, there was no indication that we should have gone back to kind of like 1958 or wherever you want to believe that period was. It was a kind of judgment that I made. Uh, and I had this image in my mind of kind of when Levi's was a great brand, when it was leading part of the zeitgeist and it was part of this rebellion. And I had that image in my mind. Nobody put it there. And I said, trust yourself, you know, trust what you believe in uh, and just make sure it's distinctive and interesting. I'm wondering how it not impacted your career, but changed your belief in yourself as a creative. Obviously, it was a significant moment in kind of BBH's history and it accelerated us forward and created a sort of, uh, as you quite rightly say, it changed not only the fortunes of Levi's, but boxer shorts. It encouraged us in our belief that we could create ads that are about visual narratives and that touch the emotions as well as rational. So what you're trying to do with a piece of communication is you're trying to create something that's both rational and emotional, head and heart. You're trying to hit the head and the heart. And it gave us the confidence to go on doing that. 
If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And I'd love for you to keep rethinking with me. You can do this by connecting with me on LinkedIn. Here you can join our wonderful community of rethinkers by subscribing to the Rethink Moments newsletter. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rachel Botsman. And if you'd like to email me with your ideas, questions and feedback, I'd love to hear from you on rachel at rethinkmoments.com. I'm Rachel Botsman. We're back next Monday with a new fantastic episode of Rethink Moments. The show is developed and written by me, Rachel Botsman, with Will Hain and Alex Sansom. Our Rethink Moments team includes our wonderful producers, Kat Davy and Carenza Metric, and Phoebe Adler-Ryan, our researcher. Editing, mixing, and additional scripting is by our friends at Rethink Audio, Matt Hill and Anushka Tate. Sound engineering by Nick Morbath at Evolution Studios, and our original theme music is composed by Ben Sansom. And thanks to Jesse Hempel and the team at LinkedIn for all their support.